Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fearless, diabetes, late night. And I want to thank you for taking a closer look and listen to our Wellness with a Wow podcast. Tonight, we're celebrating our eighth year anniversary of Diabetes Podcasting with musical inspiration from Luther Vandross's good friend, Patty Austin, and discussing the food police. How often do you feel confronted by family members, coworkers, and friends on inappropriate food policing? Do they insist that you're being too sensitive and say that you're not, they're only doing it out of love because they care so much about you? Well, I'll be talking about what you could do about that with my guests tonight, including poet Lorraine Brooks, Jill Weissenberger, Chris Pickering, the co-founder of Beatty Brothers, Patricia Addy Gentle, and Mama Rose Marie. Now, our Diva Inspiration Grammy Award-winning singer, Patty Austin, dealt with the food place after she gained 30 pounds in one month due to a thyroid issue related to going on birth control. She continued to struggle with her weight over the next several decades, like her friend Luther Vandross. She said the two met in 1970s during a studio session in New York City. Patty said they bonded over shared weight issues. Well, when Patty Austin was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, she decided to do something about it and underwent gastric bypass surgery. Several years ago, she said the results have still been remarkable as she's maintained her current weight of 160 pounds. Don't you love that we're talking about weight on our eighth anniversary podcast? Well, it's all about what I uh, I know what you ate last summer. So we'll be talking about all kinds of food with Jill Weisenberger. We'll be talking about the food police with Lorraine Books. We'll be talking about gastric ba- uh, band surgery and other surgeries related to diabetes with Patricia Addy Gentle. And Mama Rosa Marie will be giving us some inspiration throughout this podcast. We'll also be playing songs from the best of Patty Austin, courtesy of Sony Music. Why don't you take a minute right now and donate to Divabetic at divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. 
you know what? For the past eight years, we've been all about the music. I thought it would be fun to play some more music by this Grammy Award-winning artist who I got to see in concert in New York City at B.B. King's. And I must tell you, it is worth the price to go see Patty Austin. She sounds as great as in person as she does on the record. Here's Say You Love Me, courtesy of Sony Music. Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and that was a lovely dose of Patty Austin. If you want to get a daily dose of Diva inspiration, check out Diva Bedick's Facebook page. Tonight we're talking about I Know What You Ate Last Summer and those food police in our lives who like to tell us what we're eating and why we shouldn't be. We're also exploring healthy alternatives on some of the most popular summer foods and drinks with the um, best-selling author, Jill Weisenberger, coming up in the show. But right now I want to take a minute and acknowledge... Diva Bedick's eighth year anniversary of diabetes podcasting. I want to thank our loyal listeners uh, for welcoming us into your lives. I want to thank all the guests who've appeared on the podcast. I want to thank Sony Music for providing such wonderful music. And I'd also like to thank three sensational divas, poet Lorraine Brooks, Patricia Addy Gentle, and Mama Rosemarie for their continued support, expertise, and enthusiasm for our diva brand of Diabetes Outreach. Truly couldn't do this podcast without the three of them. They're the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, in my opinion, and I'm so glad to be their Charlie. Reaching another milestone gives us an opportunity to reflect on our past. And since I founded Divabetic in 2003, that's when I sold my very first T-shirt, I've had the chance to meet and work with so many talented people. One of my closest friends and colleagues, Winston Kerr, Uh, recently passed away. Tonight I'm dedicating the podcast to his memory. I met Winston 25 years ago on my very first Luther Vandross tour, Never Let Me Go, and uh, we worked and laughed together backstage for over a decade, making Luther shows sparkle night after night. After Luther passed away from a stroke and its complications in 2005, I invited Winston to attend my very first pilot program for Divabetic Makeover Your Diabetes in Atlanta, Georgia in 2006. I was stepping out of my comfort zone, spearheading a national program, and I wanted my friends and family close by in case things didn't work out. Well, lucky for us, Winston decided to bring his camera along, and within minutes of the program's start, he transformed a corner of the room into his photography studio and provided our participants with a once in a lifetime fashion shoot. His camera lens had the ability to coax women living with diabetes out of their shell and empower them to glam more, fear less. In a flash of a bulb, he made diabetes outreach sparkle, just like he did so many times for Luther. I will always be in awe of my talented friend, Winston Kerr, and I'm just so sad to lose another great friend, so... I'm going to have an emotional moment, but I'm going to let you hear some more music. Uh, Luther Vandross was good friends with Pat LaBelle, and 
I mean, I'm sorry, not only Pat LaBelle, Patty Austin, I kind of lost my train of thought. And so it's with pleasure that I play another cut from his good friend, Patty Austin. Remember what day it was I didn't notice what time it was All I knew is that I fell in love with you And if all my dreams come true
uh, I'm a huge fan. I got the chance to meet her. She's such a lovely woman. And really, I have to tell you, she was inspired like I was after Luther's stroke to do something about it and got very involved in the End the Stroke campaign and performed on a couple tribute albums to Luther and has spoken publicly about her own diagnosis and how she um, decided to treat it by uh, getting gastric uh, bypass surgery. And I know you've had some experience with friends and family who've done that as well. It's not as easy as it looks, is it? No, it's not. I didn't know that Patty uh, Austin had had the surgery. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm surprised to hear that, but I'm, I'm happy for her. No, it's, it's not an easy uh, thing to live with. Um, you know, there are all kinds of nutritional um, supplements that you might need to take and um, uh, what they call dumping syndrome. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not an expert about it by any means, but I do know a couple of my very good friends who, who've had weight loss surgery, and even though they're not sorry they did it, um, it's, you know, it can be challenging. So I, my hat is off to anybody who who, who does it. Um, I, I think it's... Um, it's not an easy way to to lose weight, but if if that's what you need to do, um, you know, to make yourself feel better and to improve your health, then I'm all, I'm all for it. Well, it was interesting. Patty Austin wrote a uh, blog post for the Huffington Post, and she said after she lost, uh, one of the reasons why she gained the one of the benefits she found from actually gaining the weight was that she thought people took her more seriously. She felt like when she was smaller, she just didn't seem to have as much weight as she said, no pun intended, in her words. When she was larger, she noticed that a lot of people took her more seriously, and also she wasn't, um, men weren't approaching her quite the same way they were after uh, backstage, uh, after shows, and uh, and and such. And she felt like that those were two things that no one's ever acknowledged. And when she lost the weight, she was a little bit afraid that she would become almost invisible again. That, that's interesting. Usually people say just the opposite, right? I mean, usually um, people say that when they lose weight, they become more visible. Um, so that that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm surprised that she said that. You know, now that you're saying that, I really would like to read more about her, her experiences because um, – you know, being in the in the entertainment industry and people knowing you anyway, you know that that you've changed your appearance um, would seem to be to me that would seem to be a plus. But it's interesting that she would have that perspective. That's what's so interesting about this whole topic, isn't it? Because everybody has a different way of seeing it, and everybody responds to it differently, and everybody has a different experience. Well, I agree, and I'm sure people looked at her differently and what she was eating at the two different weights, at her lowest and at her highest, and I'm sure the reaction was quite different. So I'm curious, like, you know, mm. I, I wanted to take on this topic because we've never covered it in eight years. I thought it would be kind of fun to poke at our eighth-year anniversary be talking about uh, I Know What You Ate Last Summer. What, what are your feelings about the food police before you read your poem? You know, it's funny because I had an experience once in a, a place where I used to work, and it was someone's birthday, and there was birthday cake. And um, I was um, um, pretty heavy at the time. I was probably at my highest weight at the time or close to it. And uh, they were offering the birthday cake around, and uh, I, I said no, I didn't want a piece. And 
everybody else was offered a piece, and some people said yes, and some people said no. The people who said no, nobody questioned it. But when I said no, people questioned it. They were like, well, you know, come on, have a piece of cake. And I kept saying, no, I don't want a piece. And they sort of wouldn't take no for an answer. I mean, ultimately, I didn't eat it. But they kind of wouldn't take no for an answer. And I thought that was really interesting, that the smaller people in the group, it was okay with people that they weren't going to have cake. But for some reason, people thought that I should have the cake or that I really wanted it and I was just trying to be, I don't know, um, trying to be politically correct or something. And I I found that very interesting. I never forgot that. I think people do treat you differently, um, even when you're trying to, um, you know, be careful about what you eat. I think people do treat you differently according to what their perception of you. So, yeah, I have to agree with that. Well, all right. So now with that inspiration, I'd love to hear your poem you wrote for eighth year anniversary about the topic. I know what you ate last summer. <laughs> so, yeah, I've experienced the, the food police from time to time in my life. And so my poem is called Don't Hate My Plate. Are you sure that it's okay to eat that Chinese food? Yes, it is. And I can say, I think you're being rude. I do not want to be observed with everything I eat. The food that I prepared and served is savory and sweet. What you don't see is how I count my carbs, my fats, my fruit, to make sure that the right amount is what I did compute. So please believe that I do know exactly what I'm doing. And even if it doesn't show, I'm sure what I'm pursuing. If you should see some onion rings or maybe eggs and bacon, trust that I'm aware of things and that I'm not mistaken. Sometimes I eat pasta too and pizza topped with cheese. I do not need advice from you. So do not give it, please. We people who have diabetes eat all kinds of food, from oatmeal, grits, and even Wheaties, and chicken barbecued. It's okay to ask a question to better comprehend, but remember, it's just your impression, and I do not have to defend. So you eat yours, and I'll eat mine, and we'll enjoy our dinners, Just realize where to draw the line, and we'll all come out winners. I think you got a standing O. I love that poem. I love what you do, Lorraine. I love what you bring to the show. I can't. It's just incredible to me that we have a poet on our show. I just. I, lo- I love this poem. I-, I love the humor that you took on this subject. It is a very, uh, I think, a very touchy subject for a lot of us. We're very sensitive to it. If people have ever felt condemned or ashamed for what they're choosing, I think um, their food choices or their choices in life in general, I think you just you tend to not want to talk about it. And I, I think it's really important that we're shedding light on it uh, tonight, and hopefully we'll shed light on it again. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for talking about it, Max. I'd be interested to hear what everybody else has to say. And I think it's an important topic. Again, I, I congratulate you for being willing to talk about difficult things, and um, I'm sure it will be helpful to other people. And congratulations again on eight years of, of really wonderful work. Oh, my gosh, Lorraine, look out the window. Oh, my gosh. It's coming. I don't know what's going on with my sound effects tonight. That's supposed to be a, a horn. It's, Anyhow, that's it's, it's, it's that not working. Throat? I don't know what's going on. Okay, that was a crash, but it was supposed to be a fire truck. <laughs> I hope there's no fire because that was really uh, a delayed response. I'm giving everyone a hot seat question tonight for our eighth anniversary. Uh, Totally opinionated. Lorraine, are you ready for your hot seat question? Okay. Do you think doctors should encourage overweight women to lose weight before they get pregnant? Um, I... I guess it would depend, like it does with anything else, on whatever other issues you have. I don't think, and I'm certainly not a doctor or a nurse or in the health professions, but I, I would think that it would be the same as with any other um, condition or any other uh, way that your body might change. If you have other things going on, then I think losing weight or keeping the weight down might be appropriate. If not then um I, i'm not sure I, I don't i don't i don't think that i don't think it would be appropriate if it's not appropriate if that makes sense well the national diabetes education program has launched a campaign it's never too early to prevent diabetes to encourage women at uh to reach a healthy weight before they conceive being overweight increases your risk of type 2 diabetes as well as gestational diabetes and according to the national institutes of health about 7% of all pregnancies are diagnosed with gestational diabetes every year, and the number is rising. Uh, the risk to both mother and child is preventable, so now they are encouraging overweight women to lose weight before they get pregnant. Well, there you go. That's a teachable moment, and thank you very much for that education. <laughs> and next time I'll get that fire truck uh, on cue, and you know why, because our fifth anniversary of our Diabetes Late Night podcast is coming up in September. I heard you will be once again narrating us through an adventure that takes place at Lincoln Center. Indeed, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Well, I know I'm looking forward to it, too, and I know you're a fan of Patty Austin, so you're going to love this. Uh, Do you know that her godmother was Dinah Washington, and she invited Patty Austin to perform on stage at the Apollo Theater at the tender age of four. She signed her first record deal with RCA when she was five. Here's her version, Lorraine, I can't believe this, of a Bob Seger classic from 1978 called We've Got Tonight.
Welcome back to the Diabetes Late Night. We've got tonight, everybody, I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. We're celebrating our eighth year anniversary. We've got tonight to help empower and educate you about diabetes. So thrilled to be having our next guest on the show. She's a registered dietitian, nutritionist, certified diabetes educator, and a best-selling author who just released her newest book, Free Diabetes, A Complete Guide. It's now available on Amazon. Please welcome to the show Jill Weissenberger. Hi, Jill. Hey there. Thanks for having me. And congratulations Thanks for being on, on the, the show. Book. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And congratulations for eight works of one eight years of wonderful work. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> we uh and and we've had the chance to ch- uh to chat online uh back and forth. You helped with a couple blog posts on Divabetic that mm-hmm. have been highly popular and in fact you just gave us some news about some popular swaps. I'm sure in your consultation, though, food police has come up before with some of your patients. What's your advice with, for dealing with food police uh, for our listeners tonight? Well, first I, I tell my patients, my clients, not to encourage it because, honestly, a lot of people do. They'll encourage it sometimes, and then they'll be annoyed other times. And so it should never be encouraged because, you know what, we're adults. And we get to make our own decisions. And if we choose to eat something that maybe isn't our best choice, it's still our choice. So that's number one. Don't encourage it under any circumstances. And then the second thing is just to empower yourself and empower the person who wants to care for you because really that's what somebody else is trying to do is care for you. Empower both of you with specific guidance. I would say something like, it really helps me when you clean up the dinner dishes because it gives me a chance to take a walk after dinner. Would you do that more often? And it really makes me uncomfortable when I think you're judging what I eat. So I would just be straightforward. No, I agree. I think that's great advice. I wonder, though, you know, sometimes there's so many myths and misconceptions around diabetes if that doesn't fuel some of the good intention about, you know, people thinking you can't eat any sugar. Right, right. There is a lot of, of myths out there, and, and it's not just for people who care for people with diabetes. Even people with diabetes have these ideas. I mean, I often get people call me and say, well, I just want you to give me a list of foods I can never eat again. And it's like, well, maybe something that's poisonous, that's like, you know, something you're allergic to. Those are the only things I would tell you you could never, ever, ever eat again. Um, so, yeah, there there are a lot of, of myths. And for that, you know, I'll have people say, well, invite your significant other to an appointment with your diabetes educator or show them the reading materials that you have. Share an article with them. But I really think where a lot of people go wrong is just not empowering the person who wants to care for you. No, I agree. I do want to ask you one more question, though. When I was getting ready for this subject, um, I received a major diabetes publication in the mail magazine, and it once again had desserts on the cover. And I went to the grocery store, and there's another, like, pocket size. There's, like, a couple pocket size. And every one of these diabetes magazines featured desserts on the cover. And I just wanted Hmm. to know, like, uh, before we get into the summer swaps, 
don't you think that adds to the chaos a little bit about how people view diabetes? I mean, what they should, how they should be creating a meal plan? Um, that's a tough one because I wouldn't want somebody to think that people with diabetes cannot have desserts. But the other side of that is that desserts for anyone should be, you know, a very small portion of what we eat. So do we really want to encourage that in any sort of a health-related magazine? I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, well, I mean, you have to, I mean, do some independent research, but notice how many times you find, like, desserts on the cover of diabetes magazines. And I'm not, I'm with you. I think desserts should be it for everyone, but I think this also fuels the argument and the chaos around what people think they should eat, because on one side of the fence, they might be trying to hold back on, uh, you know, trying to monitor or find what, define what moderation is for them. And then another right. side, you know, we all eat with our eyes, and they're showing us these things versus what you just said, which is kind of putting a balanced meal on the in the photo with that as one part of the balanced meal plan instead of just the center focus. Well, I definitely think that's a better message where you see well, all we'll of have it to together. Do. When, we take over, when I take over OWN, I'm going to have you help me with the covers. <laughs> I'd be delighted. <laughs> all right. Well, I, you know, here I was at Coney Island for the Mermaid Parade last year one, my um, swim coach unfortunately drowned in the ocean, and I was forced to oh, solve really? a murder mystery. And that's not true. That's fictitious, but that's our fourth <laughs> annual Gypsies, Tramps, and Peas. But anyhow, at Coney Island, Jill, the deep fryer gets the biggest workout. So everything I'm seeing is all about fried foods, and I know this is a big issue for people with I Know What You Ate Last Summer because I did have fried clams. So I wanted to know what would be a healthy swap out this year for me. I would rather see you if we would like to do the clams to do something like a clam cake. Uh, they're pretty easy to make. You just mix it up with um, the same types of things you might put into a crab cake, and then you can pan saute it or, or bake it. You might even do both. I often like to do that when I make things like crab cakes or something like that. I'll do it in some hot oil on a pan, and then I'll finish it in the oven. So that would be a good choice. And then you know I like to I like to follow that with a corn dog. Oh, why are you doing this to me? I don't know that there's a good alternative to a corn dog. I don't know a glass of water. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. There's, I a, can't think a glass of water instead of a corn dog. Just a regular hot dog, right? I mean, should I have half of it? I, or I think that, how, how would I fit yeah. that in? Okay, so my typical way of helping people to ever their favorite food is if it's truly I want them to ask them this question does it really make a difference to my happiness and sometimes it might because I mean we're not going to go to um, you know a Thanksgiving day spread and just eat broccoli I mean that would just be silly so there are certain foods that really scream whatever the event is so I'm not going to tell somebody on Thanksgiving, no, you cannot have a piece of pie. So if if corn dog really, really speaks to your soul, and that is something you enjoy for a you know a very rare event, then I would say go for it, 
and enjoy it with something healthful. So I wouldn't add on French fries and a cola, but have it with something healthful, some, some salad, some fruit, something like that. Be done with it. And just, yeah, do a little pre-planning. You know. Don't just be spontaneous. All right, well, ice cream is a big challenge for people during the summer, and there's this thing called frozen yogurt, which I find completely baffling. So um, <laughs> I want to find out, like, what your alternative is to ice cream. But before that, I just want to know what your thoughts are on frozen yogurt. Is there any claim to being healthier? Is it even yogurt? Um, I, I think most of the ones that are called frozen yogurt really are yogurt whether or not they have live probiotics is you know is from is brand specific so if you are looking for that healthy bacteria in your dessert you're going to have to do a little of your own homework um frozen yogurt might be the equivalent to ice cream because ice cream is normally made with whole milk and cream you might have frozen yogurt made the same way Often frozen yogurt is made lighter by using low-fat milk. So you're going to save some calories and you'll save some saturated fat that way. Um, some things that, that people do for them, themselves, they might um, take frozen banana and then, so they'll just take a banana, peel it, put it in the freezer, and then put it in a food processor with some add-ins, maybe a little bit of peanut butter, maybe a little chocolate chips, and they'll have, you know, banana, peanut butter, chocolate chip ice cream, something like that. So, and that okay. works really well. Mango is another fruit that works really, really well. You can put um, it in the blender and freeze? Yep. You just take the frozen mango or the frozen banana and um, make that as the base of your quote-unquote ice cream. Um, and both of those fruits work well. I think it's the types of fiber that are present in those fruits. Um, and then something that I do, and I think that I gave you the link and that you put it up on your blog, is um, I'll take just strawberry or raspberry yogurt, a, a, a good brand, whatever brand you like. I'll use a Greek or an Icelandic uh, yogurt and then take frozen berries. And it's just two ingredients. You mix them together in the blender, put them back in the freezer, and it is really delicious. And if you want to make it super special, you put a little chocolate shavings on top or you put some mint leaves on top, and it's super pretty and fun to eat and delicious. And then also there's the smoothie way. You can take the plain yogurt or vanilla yogurt and mix some frozen fruit in there, um, some other things that, that you might like. I'm pretty pretty basic when it comes to the smoothies. I use just yogurt berries, and I'll thin the yogurt, I'll thin the smoothie a little bit with a little milk or maybe a little um, light cranberry juice or something like that. Nice. And how about the myth, or how do you feel about what time of eat you, what time of day you eat something like that? Like my dad. Uh, had a habit of liking ice cream before he went to bed. Do you think, you know, some people recommend, like, you don't eat things like that after 6? Is there any – what's your feeling on that? Do you have a time um, code re think, regarding specific foods? I think that we that there's some preliminary research that suggests eating earlier in the day is better for you, but it's not 
such a huge effect that I want people to get worked up on that. I really, like, I would use that for the person who already has a super good diet and wants to super it even more. But for the person who's really struggling to get healthy eating, I would not look at the time of day that you're eating as your first, second, or third concerns. But you said something that really struck me. You said the habit of having ice cream before bed. It's the habit part that bothers me. That's a routine. It's every day, and it's completely unnecessary. So then the question comes, do you want to replace it with a better option, um, you know, a, a healthier option? That, that's something you might start with. But really the ultimate goal is not to eat just for the sake of eating. But, you know, if you really feel like you need to have a little dessert, then have it with your dinner and make it small. But if you can do without it, then by all means, do without it. So I would look at, at why are we doing that? Okay, so now I'm at the cookout, and you have the option to swap out one of the foods on my plate. I have a cheeseburger with macaroni salad and potato salad on my plate. What would you swap (laughs) out on that? Well, it sounds like the cheeseburger is the only source of protein, so I'd probably leave that. But then I'm thinking top bun, bottom bun, macaroni salad, potato salad. Um, That is just all carbohydrate and all, depending on the amount that you're eating. I mean, maybe it's just a single bite. But if you have a regular scoop of each of these foods, then it's going to be probably more carbohydrate than somebody with diabetes um, would be able to handle, probably. So... I probably take off the top bun and just throw it away before you could see. And then, well, I would remake either the pasta salad or the potato salad, either one of them. I would remake them, and instead of being a traditional salad, I would load the bowl with non-starchy vegetables. So I do make a potato salad where I have snow peas and uh, red onions, and I don't even remember all the different vegetables that I put in there, but it can be whatever is in my refrigerator. And that way I bulk up the serving for less carbohydrates and less calories. So I don't replace the potatoes. I just maybe do 50% potatoes and 50% a whole variety of vegetables. So that's what I would do. I think I'm, I would love it. I would have that. That sounds good to me. All right, well, most people aren't aware of how many calories they're drinking. This weekend I'm going to the Jersey Shore to one of my favorite places, Asbury Park, and the only thing better than sitting on the beach and looking at the water is sitting on the beach with a frozen daiquiri. So when we're talking about... <laughs> Frozen drinks and diabetes and making healthier swaps for the summer, what could you possibly swap me out for on that frozen daiquiri that won't put a dimmer on my summer? Well, first I want to know, why are you always going to places and taking unhealthy foods with you? <laughs> it's the only thing around, Jill, and I wasn't I, – I didn't make a plan <laughs> Okay. Well, Isn't that what one. most people say, though? Like they don't 
we're we're not really yeah. pre planning, so we're kind of at, you know, the whim of whatever's around us. And if you go to any of these seashore um towns in uh the tri state area or probably up and down the seaboard, you're you really are gonna be confronted with hot dog and corn dog stands and fried yeah. dough and, and sweet teas and lemonade and daiquiris. Yes. Okay. So I would I would first remember that even in small amounts, alcohol reduces inhibitions. So you might start with one drink and then all of a sudden you think it's a good idea to have a second and a third and all the food that's around you too. So I would be very, very cautious with that because, like I said, even small amounts will reduce people's inhibitions. So there's a ton of added sugars and extra calories in most of these frozen drinks. So I would probably choose something that wasn't a frozen drink. Um, wine is typically the lowest calorie alcoholic beverage, and you can cut the calories and the alcohol even more by mixing it with sparkling water and making a spritzer. So I learned that in you know in traveling around the world because that's common in a lot of other places. Um, for a light cocktail, the ones that my friends have enjoyed is a Cape Cotter, but you make it light, and that would be vodka with light cranberry juice. But I would still limit it to one drink for a lot of reasons, because extra calories from the drink and from the food you're going to eat with it, but just in general alcohol is linked to more colon cancer, more breast cancer. Um, high amounts of alcohol is linked to type 2 diabetes, not just an average amount, but high amounts. So I would pay attention to all of those things. All right, I'll make a Cape Cotter. I'm fine with that. <laughs> oh, Jill, look out the window. I'm looking. The fire truck isn't going. It's what time I really for your hot dog. Oh, there it is. Wow. <laughs> There's two of them. All right, here's your hot seat question for tonight. Celebrating our eighth year anniversary of podcasting. You have no idea what you're gonna. I'm going to ask you, but here you go. New research states that people with diabetes, both type 1 and type 2, benefit from moderate, not low-carb intake. They define low-carb intake as less than 40, 45% of daily calories from carbohydrate sources. Do you agree or disagree? And what would be some of the high-carb foods that we should be aware of? Oh, I love your question. Um, okay, so I don't know the research that you're talking about. I, I, I definitely want to, to read it. But I am certain that there is not an ideal amount of carbohydrate for anybody, including people with diabetes. And, you know, I think we are all so very, very different. And um, I do know that people with diabetes often will think, oh, diabetes, sugar, carbohydrates, cut them all out. But they're kind of missing the boat because the Foods that we know that are really, really health-boosting, have disease fighters, um, cancer fighters, heart disease fighters, anti-inflammatory, antioxidants, 
these are largely foods that also have carbohydrates. So I'm talking about vegetables, nuts, fruits, whole grains, um, beans, lentils, those types of foods. We know that they protect us against disease. And there are some that appear to be really, really good for insulin resistance. And insulin resistance is the is an underlying cause of both type 2 diabetes and prediabetes. So a few carb-rich foods that I really encourage my patients with diabetes and prediabetes to include are oats and barley. And oats and barley both because these are whole grains that have a fiber called beta-glucan. And beta-glucan does a whole mess of things, but one of them that it does in the gut is um, helps us to um, it helps us to be more sensitive to insulin. So it reduces insulin resistance. Berries have been linked to less risk of type two diabetes. So I really, really push my patients with that, with prediabetes to try to to include that. And then lentils and beans like chickpeas and black beans and kidney beans also related to less heart disease, less colon cancer, but they have a health, a benefit on both fasting glucose and um, um, average blood glucose levels. So those are some carbohydrate-rich foods that I think are really important. And um, I, interesting, I, ha- I have a list of them in, in the newest book, um, Prediabetes, A Complete Guide. But also yogurt is a food that's linked to less type 2 diabetes. Um, But fruits in general, whole grains in general, but specifically the ones I mentioned. You know, you are a total delight. I'm so excited to have you on the show tonight. (laughs) I definitely want you to come back. And I follow you on Twitter, and I go to your website all the time. You have great recipes, great advice. People should definitely check out uh, who you are, as well as check out your newest book. Plus, you have several books, but the newest book is Free Diabetes, A Complete Guide, and that's available on Amazon.com. And I did post today on divabag.org all about your website, how they could get the book and learn more about you. Thank you so much for being a part of our eighth-year anniversary podcast celebration. Well, I can't thank you enough for having me, letting me chat, 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 and for all the great work you do to help people with diabetes. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. Now, we're coming back, everybody. But first, Patty Austin did not like to sing alone. In fact, she had some of her greatest uh, singing success as uh, singing duets, including the Oscar-nominated How Do You Keep the Music Playing and the Grammy-nominated Baby Come to Me with James Ingram. Did you know she also recorded a duet with Luther Vandross entitled I'm Gonna Miss You in the Morning for Quincy Jones' 1978 album Sounds and Stuff Like That? Well, it seems like when she's singing with others, it brings out the best in Patty Austin. So I thought we'd play another cut off of her best of album, courtesy of Sony Music. This one's called I Need Somebody.
Welcome back to Zivy's Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. Tonight we're celebrating our eighth year anniversary of podcasting, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I'm still so passionate and enthusiastic about doing diabetes outreach because I've got to have had the opportunity to meet so many wonderful people, and a lot of them inspire me. Tonight, I have a chance to talk to someone who just founded recently his diabetes organization, and he's dedicating to building community for people with type 1 diabetes. Please welcome from Oklahoma, Chris from Beatty Brothers. Hi, Chris. Max, how are you? I'm great. I follow you, the Beatty Brothers on social media. I notice you guys have a T-shirt. You're coming out with all different kinds of great stuff to help inspire people with type 1 diabetes to kind of be outspoken and, uh, and uh, meet others and live a healthy life. So I want to get right into it because I love finding out about new organizations. Uh, what got you involved in diabetes outreach? The biggest thing for me personally was I actually went through a suicide attempt, and after doing that is when I found the community and I started engaging and talking to more people and realized that I wasn't alone in it, and I wanted to take my personal story very broad and help as many people as I could. And you were tell everyone, you were first diagnosed with type 1 diabetes back in June of 1988. Yes. So this is your 30th anniversary of living well with type 1 diabetes. Uh, you were diagnosed around what age? Two, three years old? Three years old. And so how did your family get involved in your care? Well, lucky for me, I was the fifth diagnosis in my family. So as far as the entire family, all everybody and all the all the other relatives, they already knew about it. And so my parents growing up with siblings with type 1 already knew kind of what to do. And so it was a pretty easy transition. Uh, the diagnosis itself kind of hit them hard, but as far as the care itself, they already had a pretty good idea of what to do. And growing up with type 1 diabetes, because there's so much misconception and myths around type 1, type 2, prediabetes, um, not so much with gestational, but we shouldn't mention it. Uh, wh- what, how did you deal with the food police? Were, they, were people ever telling you what you could eat and, and couldn't eat um, when you were uh, going out to restaurants or even in the cafeteria? Oh, well, you know as well as I do, the food police are still rampant and running wild. But, yeah, growing up especially, it, if I had anything, especially while treating the low blood sugar, I've had people slap food out of my hands telling me I shouldn't eat that. And so how did you handle it? What would you do? Um, For me, it was just kind of a, I'm going to eat this, and just kind of, you know, stood up and bowed my chest a little bit, and I would grab whatever, whatever I needed or wanted at the time and just have at it and wouldn't let them stop me. No, I love it. All right, and I'm going forward. So then, you know, after dealing with the food police, you started, I know because we talked earlier, you met up with a couple other guys who are living with type 1 diabetes, and in April 2017, you kicked off the Beattie Brothers. So what brought the three of you guys together, and how did the mission come out of that? Because you guys have done so much wonderful and inspiring things. I want everyone to hear about what you're doing. Well, yeah, it actually it started – quite a few years ago and I was working with Stephen who is one of the one of the co founders 
and we were working together, and everybody knew we were both type one, and so we kind of hit it off there and had some fun at work with it. And then I left the the place we were working at, and my wife does hair and makeup on a lot of movie sets. And then Nate, who is one of the other guys that helped co-found it, also worked on the movie sets and the graphic design or the uh, graphic effects. And she found out he was type one. Was like, well, you have to meet my husband and. Me and Nate hit it off, and we still have a lot of fun, and we talk every so often. And we just got together one day, and Nate and I were sitting there. We're like, well, why don't we just have fun with the world? And decided to start posting some stuff on social media and started with Facebook and then moved over to Instagram and Twitter and just, you know, some of our stuff, you know, for those that do follow, some of it's just crazy. We like to talk a lot of trash, and other is very, very serious discussions. And we don't – we don't want to just have one one form of media that we're using or one particular topic because, you know, as well as I do, with diabetes, it's such a broad spectrum, and we need to talk about any and everything. No, I love that, and I love the fact that you guys kind of have a really honest approach to living with diabetes. I know you did a posting about experiencing a blood sugar over 300 and how life sucks. And I think sometimes people need to commiserate. So I, I just love that honesty. Was that always there in your social media posting? Yeah, and that's whenever, whenever I first got into the, the online community, I saw a lot of people that would always post, you know, the unicorns and things like that. And I was like, that's not who I am. I was like, my blood sugar is all over the place sometimes. And I was like, I want to give a little more depth to what it is and talk about my personal experience with it. And, of course, I still, if I have a great blood sugar, you better believe I'm going to post it. But if I'm having a down day, I'm going to show that 300 blood sugar. I'm going to show that 44 blood sugar and allow it to be more relatable. And I'll give it to a lot of the people that are out there that instead of posting just the great blood sugars, you're seeing a, a – a swing in the spectrum that people are posting their their so-called bad day and opening up more about it instead of just putting on that prim and proper face, which is a beautiful thing. I love that. And, you know, we should say you're so outspoken, you actually have a tattoo on your wrist that says diabetic. Now, what inspired you to do that? That got inspired um, whenever I became a dad and, you know, if I was, I started thinking, if I'm out and about with my son and something happens, how is anybody going to know what to check for? And it came, it came as just not only a safety for myself, but a safety for my son. And so I decided to get it on my wrist, just like, you know, the majority of people either have a necklace or a bracelet. And I wanted it to where I wouldn't lose it. I mean, God forbid if I did do lose it. I've got some bigger issues on my hands or hands, I should say. But I wanted it there so any paramedics or anybody that that was around trying to help could see it easily and know if they're calling paramedics or if it is the paramedics, they know to look for other things. And, you know, I see on social media a lot now a lot of people posting their tattoos. In fact, Diabetes Mind recently posted, I think, on Twitter today, like about 10 pictures of diabetes tattoos. So do you see it trending? Because it seems like more and more people are doing that. I do. And I saw, 
I saw just a huge increase, especially over the last couple of years. Um, I've had mine now for about eight years, and you didn't see them as common. And now you can actually walk around in public and every every once in a while catch somebody with a, a type 1 tattoo or just a diabetes tattoo in general. And I think we're going to start seeing more and more, especially as this younger generation is getting older to the point that they're allowed to have tattoos, you're going to see more and more people doing that, especially as tattoos are becoming even more popular today. Oh, I love the visibility. All right, so I want to remind everyone that you were just three regular guys living with type 1 diabetes and Hurricane Harvey struck. Um, I just find this story so inspirational. So tell us all what the Beattie brothers did during Hurricane Harvey. Well, it started with we got reached out to by someone on social media saying, you guys are pretty close to Houston. Can you help? And we were sitting there like, how in the world are we going to help? And so we just decided to say to reach out online, uh, started with Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and say, hey, if you have any extra supplies, please let us know. We're happy to pick those up. And through that process, we received over $30,000 worth of supplies for the first visit. And without any true direction, we just decided to rent a U-Haul, hook it up to a truck, and drive down to Houston. And we hooked up with a couple of the, the groups that were helping out, specifically with the Type 1 community, um, people like Ann Ember, uh, Kelly was down there, uh, Brandon Green was all part of that, and hooked up with all these people in order to get the supplies out to those that were needing it. And then we were still receiving so many messages and people in the Oklahoma City area that still had extra supplies that we decided to do a second trip a few weeks after that. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger, and the need was greater. So you were, you, the three of you, really accomplished such an amazing thing. How did, how, how did it leave you? Like I know the Beatty Brothers has now expanded to the Beatty Babes and uh, and other things. So tell us a little bit about where where the Beatty Brothers are heading. Well, as far as the overall foundation. Uh, what we were looking at, the foundation itself is the Beatty's Bros Foundation, and underneath, under that umbrella, uh, we didn't really think the name through because we, we weren't sure where it was going, so we just decided to go with that. But since then, of course, we've got the Beatty's Bros, the Beatty's Babes. We are going to eventually add a parent platform underneath the foundation for those who are, you know, living with children with diabetes, where they've got a, a chance to have outreach and another outlet. And we're also going to design one for just the family members in general and also the spouses. And unfortunately, you look at the spouses of people with diabetes, and they don't get a lot of say in anything. And we want to make sure that they've got a voice for everything that they are going through and doing as well. I love it. I think it's brilliant. I'm, I'm so excited for you. I wish you tremendous luck. I want you to look out the window. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, Chris, there's a fire engine out there, and there's a fire chief in that engine named Patricia Addy Gentle. Hello, Patricia. Hello. Chris, in honor of our eighth-year anniversary, your hot seat question goes back to our very first podcast at uh, Diva Bedic. We played our game, Diabetes Numerology, 
So I thought we'd play it again tonight. I'm going to give you a random blood glucose value and assign a make-believe situation and ask you for your self-care plan. Are you ready, Chris? Let's do it. All right, so you're data four. You've been living with diabetes, type 1 diabetes for over 30 years. Do you like country music? Because you know this is a pod, diabetes podcast that's all about music. Do you like country music? I could not be in Oklahoma and not like country music. <laughs> well, that's good because you're at an outdoor Blake Shelton concert with your wife and four children. It's 97 degrees out, and your blood sugar value is 50. Five. I'm going to give you a second while I play the drum roll for you to give us your answer about how you would solve that diabetes numerology. Wait for it. It's not going to play the drum roll. All right, Chris, how would you solve that? Because we're not going to get the drum roll. Okay. 97 well, degrees out. Blake Shelton in the middle of Sangria is one of his songs. And uh, okay. you got a 55 blood sugar. What would you do? Okay, well, Blake Shelton's playing, and I'm a big Blake Shelton fan, so my adrenaline's going to be going up, so there's going to be a natural spike in the blood sugar just from that. But I'm still going to go to my favorite ice cream stand, which is Rocky's Ice Cream here in Oklahoma City, who is generally out at any of the concerts. And I'm going to grab a little bit of ice cream, and I'm going to treat and I'm going to watch it for about 45 minutes, double-check, and make sure I'm not going to have to correct for that. Patricia, how did he do? Well, he didn't do bad at all. But, um, you know, when when you're diagnosed with diabetes, one of the best things you can do for yourself is to always carry something on hand that you can get to readily. So you don't have to walk and expend energy to get to that ice cream stand and to stand in line and to make that purchase. You may have your glucose tablets, or you can have a quick uh, carbohydrate source with you, something like hard candy, but whatever it is that you keep in your pocket and with you on person at all times, just like that tattoo is on you, you need to have a quick-acting sugar. So when you do have an episode like that, you can readily uh, have it accessible, go ahead and use it, and get it in your system quickly. So you want to chew the tablets, the glucose tablets, or the candy. Don't ever just hold it in the mouth and suck because at a critical time like that, you want to go ahead and get the carbohydrate to the bloodstream. So you would chew it, and you would recheck the blood sugar like you stated uh, about 15 minutes later to see if it's done the trick. Chris, have you ever had a problem with um, dealing with the hot weather and your diabetes? I have been having a problem for the past week dealing with it. What's been the issue? Uh, constant lows, just just dealing with the weather and the temperature changes, and body just doing what the body naturally does and trying to burn everything off during the summer, and just increasing lows over the past week. Patricia, any comment on that? So uh, is your activity different during uh, hot weather? Are you expending more energy? The same amount of effort and exercise as I do throughout the year. Okay. And so you're perspiring or 
you know, you want to stay hydrated, of course, and you definitely want to check, since you know that you have the problem with the low sugars, you want to check the blood sugar probably more frequently than you ordinarily do that. And so if you see an impending low, if you see that you're dropping, um, then you want to go ahead, have a snack, have a meal, depending on time of day. If it's meal time, have that meal. And never space the meals out too far. That's why I asked about any extra activity. Perhaps you're out and about and maybe not eating as frequently as you would. And so um, being type 1, of course, you're taking insulin. You're using insulin in some form, and you want to definitely make sure that your meals are on time and that if necessary, you may have to have snacks between. I don't know if that's your normal routine or if anything is different during hot weather, but at any rate, make sure you don't space the meals too far apart. Absolutely. And, of course, if it continues and with all your efforts nothing is happening to correct that, then you need to talk with your doctor about it. Will do. Great. We should tell everyone, check out the BD Bros. I kept calling you the brothers. I'm so sorry. BD Bros, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Love the website and love following you guys on Twitter. I just find it so fun, refreshing, and inspirational. And, and of course, your story of uh, Hurricane Harvey and everything you did for people, I just um, personally want to thank you and appreciate that and and, uh, always uh, look forward to hearing more about what you guys are doing. So continued success, Chris. Thank you guys so much. All right. Well, we're going to come right back after a short break and talk more with Patricia Addy Gentle. But right now I thought I'd play a song dedicated to those food police in our lives by Patty Austin, courtesy of Sony Music. We all make mistakes I've made my share You don't have to say you're sorry I don't need those words To know you care Explanations aren't required Even though you think you should I don't need to know your reasons No, not even You don't have to say you're sorry, but I sure do. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night, and I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and it fits in perfectly with our theme tonight that was not planned ahead of time, but when I saw it on the playlist for that album, I was like, you've got to be kidding, and I'm just so, I just love that song. So anyhow, it's time to get up close and personal with our Diva Inspiration and talk to uh, Patricia Addy Gentle a little bit more about Patty Austin and the different um, things she's been experiencing her with her health. So welcome back, Patricia, to the show. Thank you for being here for the past eight years. Thank you for having me, Max. It's my pleasure. 
Uh, we should start by saying uh, you and I worked with uh, Winston in Atlanta, and he was there from the very first uh, at our very first Divabetic outreach program. And um, such a great guy, right? At bringing to life our Glamour Fearless philosophy. Yes, indeed. Winston always had a way of cheering up even the person who had the the most lowest type of feeling at the time. He would always get them in front of the camera, and they would perk up and get ready for that smile and try and look their best. And it was just the epitome of what Diva Bedic was trying to do. I know. I, I think, you know, that's one of the most amazing things is to have a friend who um, hears an idea that you have and takes it to another level. And I just so appreciated him in my life for that. And Patty Austin certainly is a diva. So um, going right into Patty Austin, she, I admitted, I stated earlier, and she has admitted it many times, that she had gastric bypass surgery. She also claims that it helped her reverse her type 2 diabetes. Uh, I find this slightly controversial, the way she speaks about it. And so I wanted to get some clarification for you from you, because we do see a rise in these types of surgeries, specifically around a type 2 diagnosis, because the outcomes have been uh, very favorable overall. Uh, would you agree? Yes. Um, gastric bypass surgery or any type of uh, gastric reduction type of procedure does help in diabetes management. And I think that's what we need to call it is managing diabetes because so often we do hear about reversing diabetes and we even have healthcare professionals who will use that term really loosely and, and tell people that they can do certain things and it will reverse or eradicate, you know, there's no longer any diabetes, nothing to worry about. And so often the consumer goes into um, – diabetes crisis because of that misinformation. They really think that there is nothing that they ever have to worry about. And so they pack up their glucose meter and supplies, and, of course, they're not taking medicines any longer, and they feel like they're cured, and there is nothing that they ever have to worry about again. But if you have a diagnosis of diabetes, you will always have diabetes but there are ways to better manage. And gastric bypass I, I wanna, surgery is... I just want to say that, I want to interrupt you because that's so important. After eight years, I think mean, the number one thing that fuels my passion is the idea of this misconception I had because when Luther would gain and lose in excess of 100 pounds, every time he lost the weight, he was told he didn't have diabetes, which made me think as his personal assistant, I'm sure people around him, that he had that he no longer had it. So every time he went back on medications, it was like brand new diabetes, not realizing that it had to been an accumulation in his body and that when he was at his largest weight back in 2003, uh, when he had the stroke, it had been because of this, uh, mis not only from the mismanagement, but because of the years of ongoing mismanagement at different times in his life where I was always kind of like clean slate, clean slate, clean slate. Do you know what I mean? And that really kind of bothered me right from the start. 
Right, and so many people believe that, and they they actually, you know, they're no longer taking medication, so they're they feel like everything is good, and it is good. It's being better managed, better controlled, or if you wish. But once the person reverts back to old habits, and they're eating differently, um, not being mindful of the carbohydrate counts, not being mindful to participate in exercise and activity, then the uh, glucose levels start to rise because they do have that diagnosis, and it didn't go away. So I always um, teach that even if you're not taking medications and you feel like your diabetes is being better managed or it has left, that you should always check blood sugars. You should be the person to be able to to go to your doctor and say my numbers are up because you should always be keenly aware of what those numbers are. So once a diagnosis, always test. Of course, there is no need to test daily, or but I would definitely touch base with that blood sugar every three to four weeks. And what do you think uh, the one thing people should know who might be considering any kind of gastric band, gastric uh, bypass, any kind of any of these surgeries uh, to help with their diabetes. What do you think? What do you think the big message is that they should be aware of? Even sleeve, uh, gastric sleeve. I should have mentioned as well. Right. Well, any of these procedures, as as we said, they're they're very helpful. However. Um, the main thing that a person needs to keep in mind is that it's still a lifestyle change. It's not that you have the surgery and everything is fine and nothing changes. Um, you know, in, in your life, you can continue to eat the way that you always ate. You have to keep in mind that the stomach is being reduced. Uh, the pouch is very small. And so you won't be able to... Um, consume as much the portion sizes will be reduced a lot of people will have complications or challenges if not complications from having the surgery and so most people before they go into it doctors are required to do um, extensive workup and where I'm from we always do psychological evaluations and uh, when I worked with insurance, a lot of my clients would be very upset because from the time they initiated uh, consult with someone for gastric bypass or any type of gastric procedure, the surgery was anywhere from six to nine months away, and they could not understand that. But it's a mindset, and so it's not the kind of thing that you need to go into blindly, not understanding that there is a drastic reduction of calories, a drastic reduction of portion sizes, and you just are not able to consume the way that you consumed prior. And the complications that occur, sometimes I've had, I've had two or three patients who came back to me who have had um, obstructions because they refuse to eat those small portions. I've had people who came back with hemorrhaging because initially for several weeks after the procedure, they're on liquid nutrition only. And there are some who refuse to do the liquids, even though they've had the education and all of the um, knowledge has been 
put there, but there are times when people just refuse to listen to that. And complications can and will occur if the guidelines are not followed. Well, I think the one thing I've learned over the last eight years, um, there's many, but, you know, this idea about um, emotional eating and understand what these triggers are and why you're doing certain things like eating or comfort foods or things like that and just having much more respect uh, to yourself and knowing that it's just not about willpower, that there could be other things at play that are triggering you to kind of do some of the actions you were just talking about, whether or not you've had the surgery, just in general, you know, because people, as we know, are, you know, in many ways are told one thing when they're diagnosed with diabetes and they, and they, have, they become very stubborn and find it difficult, and, and a lot of the people around them, the food police or uh, with the best intentions kind of, do right, make them even feel worse and in some ways sabotage them by by kind of just giving them the negative reinforcement, right? Absolutely, and that is one of the reasons why the psychological portion of the um, uh, procedure is in place because you want to discover if there are in, any underlying uh, concerns prior to a person entering into surgery um, you want them to have the best outcome. And so if there is some psychological disorder, uh, anorexia, bulimia, those type things, then you're not looking into uh, having any type procedure like that. Great advice, Patricia. Look out the window. <laughs> oh, my you're goodness, it worked. <laughs> After eight okay. years, just in time, because we've got our Diabetes Mystery Podcast coming up in September. I believe it's called Swan Wake, and this year yours truly. Once again, I'm having a catastrophe in the culinary arts department, so hopefully uh, I won't be hearing too many sirens, but I have a feeling I'm going to be hearing one during that program. In the meantime, okay. you have no idea the question I'm going to be asking you, Patricia. We had no prior conversation about that. Is that correct? You're right. We haven't. All right. An ex and an international expert panel. Wow. Recommends the A1C test, the measure of your blood glucose over the past two to three months, is now being considered the primary way to diagnose diabetes in everyone except pregnant women, rather than by checking fasting or random blood glucose values. Do you agree or disagree with this recommendation? I feel that that is a, a very good way to diagnose diabetes. Um, often uh, patients will go to their physical exam or their routine examinations and have a glucose, a glucose test done, and they're told to fast for their blood work. And so often the fasting blood sugars, there's no, not a problem. Um, they will always test normal, and uh, the, the A1C can pick up what the average blood sugar has been over that uh, period of time, the two to three months period of time. And so if they've had spikes in the blood sugars, it will pick up on that. And the average won't look so normal, but a random blood sugar can look normal. Most folks, even if they are not fasting, when they go to their doctor and they schedule an exam, if it's a scheduled visit, they're going to go in having trying, you know, to do drop a few pounds or whatever prior to that uh, 
visit. And so sometimes eating is, is different prior to, you know, two or three days prior to going to your doctor. So when you do get there, um, the blood sugar looks really well. Um, my, me uh, and, and what I do is because I know I'm a heart stick, if I know that I'm going to have blood drawn, then I'm going to try and be really hydrated because I don't want to get stuck multiple times. So I'm going to drink a lot of water. And when I get there, of course, um, the hydration helps for the visibility of, of sticking a vein, but it also hydrates me better and my blood sugar level is going to be lower. And so I know that a random blood sugar is going to be lower than what maybe an A1C would be if we looked at the overall picture. I agree. I mean, I agree. I think it's great advice, and I think A1C is definitely something that should be done. My only issue with it is, like, the numbers. I just wish they kind of corresponded more to blood glucose values that people are aware of. It just seems like a whole other number that you have to be – uh, suddenly be very cognizant of with diabetes. We all know it's about numbers, but it just seems like why are they throwing one more number into the plate? And, and you have a point. You do have a point. Well, hold that thought, Patricia, and stick around for the end of the show. I want to get some more reflections. I have one more uh, guest coming up, and then a hot seat question for you and our next guest. So uh, first we're going to play some more Patty Austin. I want to tell you that when she first met Luther Vandross, nobody knew who he was, she said. He was doing studio work, vocal arrangements, and singing backup for other people's records. However, dun 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 she remembers that Luther helped make other people sound fantastic until he could do it for himself. So I thought I'd play Soar Me Like an Eagle Flies, courtesy of Sony Music. back to Dobby's Late Night. That was your dance break, everybody. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and hey, that's the reverse of the food police. Don't we need people who make you soar like an eagle flies? I mean, just that positive energy and, uh, and uh, great affirmations in your life. Well, I'm lucky to have someone like that in my life. Please welcome to the show that person, Mama Rosemary. Hi, Mama Rosemary. Hi, Max. Thanks for having me Thanks for soaring me like an eagle flies all through my life. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's great. I'm glad I'm, uh, I was good support for you. <laughs> do you um, want to give your tip first and then get your hot seat question, yeah. or do you want to do your hot seat question um, and then your tip? I think I'll do my tip first, if you don't mind. I'd like to do that. Okay, so okay. I could think about that hot seat. <laughs> All right, my tip for this month is to say so on to the food police and practice a kinder inner you. When you eat, decide whether the food you are choosing energizes you or depletes you. 
pay attention to whether it satisfies your hunger or you choose it just because someone told you that it was good for you. Then it's up to you to decide if you will continue to listen to the judgment, just pass by yourself or others, or begin to practice something new. Curiosity will let you base your food choices on internal uh, clues such as your hunger or digestibility. So set yourself free from the burden of food rules. And that's my tip tip for this month. month. Oh, I'm looking out the window. Have we talked at all about the question I'm about to give you? No, we have not. (laughs) All right, here we go. Do you think a hearing test is a reliable way to diagnose someone with diabetes? Do you think a hearing test is a reliable way to diagnose someone with diabetes? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. No, I wouldn't think so, but if you're asking me that question, it probably is. Do you want to phone a friend and see Patricia Addy Gentle, what do you think? Do you think a hearing test is a reliable way to diagnose someone with diabetes? Well, Max, I haven't gotten any information that hearing testing is going to be one of the uh, hallmarks for diagnosis. However, I do know that there is a correlation between hearing loss and diabetes, but um, I'm hoping you're going to tell me the new guideline. <laughs> I, don't, I reason, haven't heard that one. <laughs> All right, a recent, if, you, if you're staying with us till 730, you're going to love this. A recent study found that a, that hearing loss is twice as common in people with diabetes as it is in people who don't have diabetes. Also, of the 84 million adults in the U.S. who are living with prediabetes, the rate of hearing loss is 30% higher than those with normal blood glucose levels. However, the hearing test does not provide a reliable diagnosis because, A, they haven't been able to find the direct correlation between diabetes and hearing loss, and, B, the symptoms of hearing loss can often be hard to notice and, and are commonly overlooked. In fact, family members and friends sometimes notice the hearing loss before the person experiences it. Interesting, right? And that has been my experience. <laughs> I know that there is a correlation, but uh, I wouldn't think that's a way to diagnose. I, I didn't think so either, but I thought it was interesting that we're you now bringing awareness to that. In fact, you know, people are listening to the podcast right now. If they could hear our voices, then they're fine. But if they have loved ones who are having trouble listening to us tonight, maybe they should go get a uh, check for their blood glucose values and have that A1C test. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So, yes, you know, we're all about the music, ladies. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Tell me, uh, each one of you, favorite one of your favorite musical artists we've played over the years, since we're probably the only diabetes podcast that plays music on their show. Patricia, you go first. <laughs> well, I, I'm like Lorraine. I do like uh, Nina Simone, and I also love Fantasia. Oh, I love that album, too. That was a great album. Mom, how about you? Who have you uh, enjoyed? Um, um, Katy Perry, I think. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that. Now I'm going to have to wrap up. Do you want me to say more? Yeah. Do you have another one? (laughs) 
No. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, no, I don't have another one. Um, you're c- catching me off guard. I'd have to really think about it. I did enjoy Patty Austin tonight. I thought that was really good. And uh, there has been some others that I really, really enjoyed, but I just can't think of them, them right now. I think it's for me it's interesting because I listen to the music all month long and get inspired, and sometimes artists uh, like I love Doris Day and I love Della Reese and I loved Evelyn Champagne King and obviously Luther Vandross, but then uh, country artists like Old Dominion when we played that, and then most recently we played Pink and Alicia Keys albums took me a long time to get into the groove with, but then after listening to it so much, I really uh, found myself really enjoying it. And finally, I have to say, um, I had a huge respect for George Michael after we did that show. I just kind of went back to his music and really rediscovered that, and so inspiring. And I hope it inspires all our listeners, just like you two women do. And I, I appreciated having you both on the show every month for the last eight years and going forward. So uh, the three of us knew Winston Kerr. uh, Three of us knew Winston Kerr. And so our final song is dedicated to Winston Kerr. Once again, he was a a loyal friend to me. He was a diva better colleague. And I think um, Patricia said it best, how he brought to life our philosophy, the glamour, fearless philosophy at Diva Medic, and I hope everyone gets that, that take what Winston gave you and don't let diabetes dim your dazzle. In his honor, we're going to end the show with uh, What's at the End of the Rainbow by Patty Austin, courtesy of Sony Music. What's at the end of a rainbow? What's in the clouds up above? What's at the end of tomorrow, my love? What's at the end of a love song? What's on the wings of a dove? What's at the end of a Better not to ask why, but 
Oh, 